Okay, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Mind Hunter Companion. Uh, today we will be doing season two, episode three. As always, uh, my co-host is Peter, and I am Doug. Welcome, Doug. Uh, this is another uh, David Fincher directed episode. Yeah. Uh, this was written by. This is a story by Josh Donnan and Courtney Miles, and the teleplay is by Josh Donnan and Philip Howes. Um, a tough episode, I thought. Like, not not a fun episode of this show about murder and killing. You know, not like yeah. the usual fun murder and killing episode. Yeah, I was just. Um... Like I watched it in two pieces and the first part I thought it was pretty good. The first like 15, 20 minutes and then the rest of it, it sort of becomes really a little confused and run of the mill, which I, and I actually have really liked the second season up to this point. But, you know, to me, the point where it got a little goofier was um, when, uh, you know, Holden goes to, uh, he goes to Atlanta and it seems like the woman in the hotel that works in, in the hotel is trying to pick him up, but it turns right. out she's she taking has him, another plan. Right. She's taking him to the, to, to basically be, <laughs> go do exactly what he does during the day at work. Coincidentally, she knows a bunch of victims, uh, parents of serial killer victims and she wants him to investigate, which just seemed to seem like a stretch and an awful coincidence. But well, let's 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 go in order. Let's go in order. So uh, we begin uh, in our pre-credit scene uh, with uh, Dennis Rader. Uh, we don't know the status of his marriage, but he's uh, he's hanging out at the public library late at night, uh, and and he's uh, startled by the librarian basically telling him. They're wrapping up the day, and he has to very quickly hide what he's working on. He's drawing, right? Right. He's not just drawing. He's drawing. He's essentially tracing a picture of a woman, but he's changing the image so that the woman isn't just seated. She's bound and has tape over her mouth. So we saw, you know, at the end of season one, we saw Raider burning all his drawings. Yeah, I remember it in the uh, in the forty gallon drum in his yard, and I think the implication is that he's he's starting to escalate again. Like his mind is going in this direction, you know. He's he's preparing once again. I think he's just you know he has a trapped artist on the inside that he has to let out. That's all it is. He just mm. you know the guys. He's like Michelangelo, <laughs> revealing the the true form inside the stone. Oh, God. As he sculpts. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> um, so uh, after our credit scene, uh, we see Bill uh, sort of continuing like the creepy events of the Tench household. Bill wakes up alone and there's a sort of like eerie scene as he walks through the house by himself. His kid is sleeping and he finds a very rattled Nancy sitting in the kitchen very early in the morning and she realizes that her name and phone number are on the for sale sign in front of the house where the dead body was found. Right. And Bill thinks like big deal. Right. But again, like, you know, this is hitting very close to home for Nancy and, you know, it sort of shows how like, you know, Bill is almost perhaps too used to all of this. Right. Uh, it's, it's also, 
I don't know. The more time they spend on this, it's also a little bit coincidental, a little too coincidental. I don't know. Right. It's a bit of a stretch that, you know, that Holden happens to run into the woman in Atlanta that we'll get to. And and uh, Nancy's first house on the market happens to be uh, the site of a ritualized killing. Yeah, it's it's I'm telling you, like this episode, I, I don't know, like I didn't buy it so much. Like, I think I'm missing Joe Penhall's writing. But all um, I can say is, you know, these guys should just stay home because if they even go to the mall, there's like a serial killing. <laughs> There's some ritual killing, you know, like they go to the pharmacy, right, like Walmart. Pick up their, right? Pick up their antibiotics and uh, right, they're somebody's, somebody's dead in the aisle, like in a ritual killing. <laughs> so Bill cancels his trip uh, to Atlanta with Holden, um, and he lies. He lies. He says he had food poisoning when yeah. uh, when he didn't, and then. Uh, we we back we backpedal a little bit in the Tench household because we've seen their son doing a little bit better. We saw him recently playing football with some boys at church, and then we see him uh, bedwetting, which we know from watching the show is one of these sort of alarm symptoms in kids. And I don't think we think that young uh, young Tench is going to become a serial killer, but you know I think it's lost. It's not lost on Bill, you know, that his son bedwets and might be a little bit of an alarming thing. You think? I don't know. I think it's just showing how they get worked up about it because at this point they sort of see that as a major character flaw, which well, is. I, I, well, I think it, I think that Bill is personally let down by it, but I think it's just sort of you know they've mentioned in the show before that you know by hurting animals, starting fires, bedwetting, right? Sort of the the bad triad. Yeah, I guess, but he's just autistic. No, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Although, with the way the show's going, he probably is a serial killer. <laughs> Nancy's probably a serial killer. The way the show's going. Guess, Jesus. guess who hold his next next girlfriend is? Right, exactly. Uh, who is that woman? Uh, uh, Eileen Wernos. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, so Bill, uh, heads out to, uh, Nancy's, uh, her, her listing and he, uh, essentially kind of talks the detective, the local detective that we've met before, who still hasn't calmed down at all. Like it's a little overdone that the guy's still so rattled a few days later. Um, I guess it's the next day. And, no, it's and the Bill, next morning. Yeah. And Bill takes his wife's name and phone number off of the top of the realtor sign. Uh, and then uh, we get a tour of the house and we discover that the victim was actually a 22-month-old toddler who was tied to the flooring on a cross. Uh, and again, so very, very much a, a ritualized killing. And in yet another coincidence, Nancy knew the family. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is weak. I'm sorry. I love this show, but this is weak. Yeah, too many coincidences. They don't have to. It's almost George Lucas-like. You know, like they're tying out. It's going to turn out that Bill is the kid's father. <laughs> right, Bill is actually Holden's father. <laughs> <laughs> right. No! <laughs> um, so we shift gears now uh, to uh, the Atlanta prison, right? So Holden um, goes uh, to the Atlanta prison to interview William Jr. Pierce, um, with uh, the guy who was kind of the also ran for Agent Smith Smot on the behavioral science team. 
Yeah, the guy they wish they'd hired. Right, that they wanted before nepotism kind of rule the day. Uh, right, and this guy uh, like shows himself to be like fantastic. Like immediately in the car, he's already read the files, and he's basically like, you know, he basically the guy. The guy clearly was the best choice. Well, and and you know, the, I think the scene is is meant to show a couple of things. One is that um, the guy is really really good. It's also meant to show that Holden is off his game. Like Holden does not do a good job interviewing Pierce. Like you know, Ho uh, Pierce uses all sorts of malapropisms and you know uh, says all sorts of dumb stuff. And you know, Holden's like rolling his eyes and having a hard time containing himself. You know, the guy says he speaks seven languages, and Holden is you know you can tell Holden's wondering if English is one of them. Yeah, um, and Holden doesn't really do a good job. Uh, it's interesting, you know. I mean, the other they hand, don't you know. they don't get a, Holden doesn't get a lot out of Pierce. Really, the other guy is able to 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 glean a lot more information from him. Yeah, I think Holden basically he doesn't care once he realizes the guy is he's not what Holden's interested in. Like Holden's really only interested in guys like Kemper and you know guys who are a true organized fetishy weird serial killers. Uh, he's not interested in a, a sort of a dumb, random criminal, even if they make up some complicated story to try to cover themselves after. And and this guy, Pierce, is basically the latter. But I think, though, that's like that's a failing on Holden's part. Like this guy admits to multiple murders. Right. He denies eight murders, but he admits to three of them. Right. And it's implied that maybe he committed those other eight murders and he just doesn't want to cop to them. But again, this guy's still a multiple murderer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Holden is, you know, maybe there's something to learn from from Pierce. Maybe, you know, maybe you can't learn as much as you can from, you know, Ed Kemper or um, the son of Sam. But there's something to be learned from this guy. Well, that's the point back at the office when they're debriefing later that, you know, even Bill and, and uh, Wendy both kind of make that point that he there are things to learn. Right. So he, uh, on his way back to the hotel, Holden sees black children and adults holding hands, which he thinks is a little bit striking. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and then the desk clerk, uh, kinds of way, uh, he's chatting up this very, very attractive uh, black desk clerk at the hotel. And she figures out that he's in the FBI. And it, it seems like she's flirting with him for a while. You know, you think that she's flirting with him. Right. And that's when it's more interesting. Right. I, I, I definitely agree. Because, you know, that would have been an interesting direction for the show to go in the wake of, you know, like, I think Debbie's absence in season two so far leaves a big hole. Like, there's, we don't get to see anything of Holden's private life anymore because it's just him sitting in front of the TV, you know, eating a, a Stouffer's TV dinner, right? right? So, like, Debbie's absence, I think, is very keenly felt. And you're hoping, hey, hey, maybe this woman's going to, you know, become an interesting character in the show. And she, she asks to talk to him alone. And she, she essentially kind of, you know, asks him out on a date. It sounds like she says she wants to, you know, take him out to dinner to the best food in Atlanta. Yeah. By the way, mm, Stouffer's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Right. I used to eat TV she, dinners in junior high school before school in the morning. 
<laughs> I did. It's true. Well, that's back when you could handle the calories. Right. So he dolls up, Holden runs up to his room. He thinks the same thing we think. He thinks that this this woman's after him. He dolls up, takes a shower, combs his hair, um, and then he meets her, and she insists on driving. Like, she shows up in kind of her beater car. Um, right. And she seems a little bit interesting in the car. You know, like, she's sort of... Gives him a little background. She's going to school and what she does. And then she takes him to this kind of place. That it's like a restaurant that looks closed. Um, and he's a little suspicious. And they go in and there's some middle-aged um, black women. One of sitting, whom is her cousin. Right. Sitting at the back at, the, at this table in this closed restaurant. And they are basically looking to talk to someone who can help them investigate their dead or missing children. Right. And this is where the show now starts to begin <laughs> to focus on what will come to be called at kid, right? The Atlanta child murders. Yeah. It's also where the show kind of, to me, that was the point where it derailed a little bit. It just, it was hard for me to suspend disbelief at that point. I felt like I left the, I left the zone and I entered realization that i was watching a tv show right it took you out of it and i will tell you too you know you may disagree with me but i think that john groff has a hard time holding this scene like i was you know just like i'm aware of debbie's absence like in this scene this scene needed bill like holden and bill with these women is a much more riveting scene because the women essentially beat holden up and again, the, because they're not taking Tanya, uh, the girl who's the desk clerk, they're not taking uh, uh, Tanya, you know, in the direction of being his girlfriend, at least not so far, you know, you almost could argue that they didn't need that, right? They could have taken out the the sort of like false hope of a romantic relationship and found a way to get Bill and hold it in front of these women. And honestly, I think it would have been a better scene, right? Because the women basically browbeat him. Well, he doesn't say anything really. Like he's almost, he's completely passive, which I get that he's shocked and, but it's and almost well, like, and the women are angry and confrontational. The, the women are basically saying, why haven't you done anything about this? And he knows nothing. Right. Well, they're, they're, they're not directly upset at him, but they're suspicious that they're, they're asking him for help. But at the same time, they're, they suspect that he's not going to help them. They're almost ready to kind of boot him out and give up um and um and and that just the problem is that's not super dramatic because as you i think you you're dead on the money he they didn't have to to in order to get this topic this content for the episode they didn't have to go this route right they could have done it in any number of ways just to introduce them um into the story like they could have written a letter that they saw you know they came to the office and bill read it or wendy read it or greg read it who knows you know or it came through greg's church group or you know who knows it could have been anything you know um but it's you know this is you know this is like 15 minutes of the show like all it's of a long his, scene. yeah from the time that he meets tanya at the hotel desk by the way i like tanya's desk computer but that's a side thing um but you know from the, time he meets, yeah, from the time he meets tanya 
to the time this, you know, it's a big chunk of the show and it's kind of dead air. And again, it's supposed to establish what's happening in Atlanta and that's fine. But I don't know, like I felt like the whole thing slowed down. So at the end, you know, you know, he's, he's back at the hotel, Tanya, you know, drops him back at the hotel and he's left sort of thinking about all this stuff, but you know, it's really left for other characters you know, beyond Holden to sort of get this this line moving, right? So right. he's still passive. Yeah, it, I'm telling you, like it it wasn't well written, and Groff didn't carry it off well. No disrespect to Groff, but he didn't carry it off well. Um, so the next day he goes to prison again uh, to meet uh, Mister Hans, who's really disorganized. <laughs> I mean, if you thought if you thought uh, Junior Pierce couldn't string a sentence together, where do you meet Mister Hans? Yeah, Mr. Hans doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And Holden <laughs> gets visibly irritated because the guy's such a dummy. Right. He makes up a bizarre story to blame uh, whites for killing a, the girl. And he, he does it on stationary from where he works. <laughs> right. And he and says, um, don't uh, don't just ignore the fact that this stationary says from here because the killer from is the army here. base. Right. right. <laughs> and on top of that, like he basically tells him about he, he tells him about the body and then he asks for a ransom after he's told them the person's dead. Yeah, like, he's a, he's he's insane. You know, he's, well, and they also say that his IQ is 75. Like he's supposed to be, you know, a very, very like low functioning individual but it's true you know like um you know this is a guy who beats prostitutes to death with a tire iron or runs them over with his car yeah but holden doesn't care and it, and holden's wrong like holden is wrong and again the other guy does a better job yeah it's like right? holden just he has no patience for for it it's like he he his tolerance for doing the mundane parts of the job is used up but the other thing, too, is this is not the first time we've seen Holden flop on his own. Like, think about Holden's trip to see Kemper at the end of season one. Right? right. Like, Holden's he's, not so good on his own. He's also gone nuts, kind of. Like, I'm not sure if it's, like, at that point, he clearly, like, things are not going well for him. And he's very emotionally upset. And that's why he goes to visit Kemper in the first place because mm. he's sort of like seeking an answer. So he's not, he's, he's a little bit disturbed. Um, but now, you know, you could argue, obviously that he's probably still having panic attacks periodically, but there's a difference. Right. He's between, had at least two that we know of, but however, you know, he, he's perfectly normal at work during the day and all the scenes we see him in, he's basically, he's perfectly normal. It's almost like, his taste for what he's doing has changed to an extent. That's what it seems like in these couple mm. scenes to me. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very, very impatient and irritable. And the right. other guy, the other agent basically does all the work. Right. The, the other guy's great. You know, like the guy, they, they didn't hire the guy. Um, Right. Well, and, and Holden even says to him that they hired the other guy cause of nepotism. I mean, he flat out tells him. Right. Jim Barney, I think that's the uh yeah. the the, the, the African American agent in uh in Atlanta that goes with him, accompanies him. So I think the best scene in the episode is the next scene where um he gets taken 
to meet this old GBI, right, George Bureau of Investigation agent who is now working, it looks like some sort of, pri- as a private detective, he's on some sort of stakeout. I think he's a cop, but he's part, like they use him for surveillance. I, who knows? Yeah, well, they say that he's retired. They say that he's, he's retired. He's semi. So, yeah, said, so I think yeah. he's supposed to be, you know, working on his own now. And they bring him the files, and he's very dismissive. And he basically was like, says, in the serial killer, a lot of murders in Atlanta, and that's just the way Atlanta is. And you know, you're you're wasting your time looking for a unifying thread in all these disappearances and murders. It's a really interesting scene because he kind of schools Holden and the other agent, although it it turns out that he's wrong, but he's very convincing. Well, you know, his point is a good point. He says it's hard to tell signal from noise. Because there's a lot of noise in Atlanta, right? So, but, you know, at the end, he says to him, look, maybe, maybe you do have something here, but it's hard to tell. And you just have to wait to see if there are more murders that show up that way. He also tells him that basically politically, they don't want to make waves because they're afraid people are, you know, they're losing the tax base from white flight to the suburbs. And any description of any kind of terrifying crime is only going to accelerate that. So they, right. they're, and they, they want to it. build the big new airport and have money and jobs. Right. So he, you know, he gives sort of a very complex picture of what's going on and what he says is right. But he says to him, you know, it's not that necessarily you're wrong. It's just, it's hard to tell and you may be right or may not be. Right. I like yours. I like the, the signal to noise comment. I don't remember if that was in the show or if you made that up. That's a good way to put it. No, I just, it wasn't in the show. I just, <clears throat> it's kind of what I thought it's what he meant. So he heads back to the hotel uh, and he sees a clearly disappointed Tanya who kind of feels like, you know, she's been let down, which is a little unfair of Tanya. I mean, she manipulated him and she kind of forces him into this situation and then she's disappointed that he hasn't worked a miracle, you know, in a few days. Well, he says like child and family services or whatever is looking into it. And once she hears that, that's basically to her, that's a code word that if the victims are black, they just assume it's a social problem. So I think that was the catchphrase that pissed her off. Um, if he didn't say that, maybe, maybe she wouldn't have been as annoyed. That's the sort of sense I got that maybe she's expecting, maybe she would have thought that he would have said, I made some phone calls to the Bureau and we're going to send a task force down here. That would have been an optimal answer. But, you know, maybe if he, it would have been mildly optimistic uh, if, if he just hadn't said, you know, child and family services or department welfare. And he gives her a line like the police are working diligently. Yeah. You know, like he kind of hands her up like a a bunch of horseshit, essentially. Right. And she's non-committal. Right. And she and she she correctly sees through it that he's not engaged. And, you know, he says, well, maybe the police haven't handled it 100 percent correct. But, you know, he, he basically says everything that he possibly can to. To, to let her down or lose her. Right. But on the other hand, like it's not a bad strategy, even if he is going to look into it basically to give her very low expectations. It's true. It's true. But, but, I'm, uh, not, but I'm not sure he's actually thinking that strategically. He may just be thinking, just leave me alone. <laughs> I'll be curious if Tanya shows up 
in future episodes. Like uh, again, I'm I'm now watching this, you know, as we're watching it. So like, I'm not five episodes ahead. So I'll be curious if she shows up. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then you know, maybe Holden's love life doesn't turn out so well because he goes to a barbecue joint with a bunch of middle aged women um, <laughs> instead of a date. But um, you know, but Wendy's love life. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Although I, I gotta say, I gotta say that the food at the restaurant that Tanya took him to did look pretty good. <laughs> She's probably right about being great barbecue. I do like, but just before we get away from Tanya, you know, I don't know who plays her, but she does a really good job, and like she just dismisses him at the end of their interaction like he's talking about like the numbers of missing people in Atlanta's high and then she says those numbers have names agent yep. ford and then she kind of ices him she says you're all checked out if there's nothing else and she just right. turns and walks away amf yeah no i mean it's uh it's 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 a really really good bit and you know like this show once again uh, get, brings in a, a character actor to do a small part that conveys a ton of emotion. Yep. Something that they do really well here. So uh, we go back to Atlanta. Oh, and, yeah, the church, the church scene. But Wendy, um, but you know, now we're back at Quantico. And they debrief, right? Right. But, but Wendy is really, you know, She's critical of Holden in Atlanta. Yeah, she's she flat out says he did a bad job. Yeah. And and she's right. He says it's all a waste of time. And she goes, Oh, it's obvious that you lost interest during the interviews. Right. And she she correctly acknowledges that if Jim Barney wasn't there, though they wouldn't have learned anything at all. Yeah. Right. And you sort of, I got the sense that Holden wanted to say, like, listen, you want, you interview these people, have Jim Barney do it. I don't want to go interview these morons. It <laughs> sort of seemed like that's what he wanted to say. He didn't say that, but I wondered if that's what he was thinking. Well, and she also correctly calls out Holden for completely ignoring the script. And she says, what's the point of the script? Right. If you don't follow it, like we're trying to, to get a unified data set from these people. Yeah. You know, like like she's, you know, sometimes Wendy is just pissy. That's just her character. But this time she's really right. Yeah. Because Holden doesn't really care about the data set. Holden just cares about what's interesting to Holden. And then even um, even Bill chimes in and says, you know, you probably did miss some opportunities. There's some stuff that's interesting and unusual here. Like they talk about, for example, how Hans killed outside his race, which goes against everything that they've been thinking. Right? Maybe they're being too rigid. Yeah, you know? and, and the cover-up, post-killing cover-up, how right. complicated that was. And then just to make it all worse, Agent Smith <laughs> sees something Holden missed. Right. Smith actually makes a helpful comment. Yeah. You know, you're not doing a good job when Agent Smith looks better than you. <laughs> right. Exactly. When he upstages you, the rat. Right. And he makes this comment about, you know, Plato and their essential characteristics. Um, and he basically says that these are both men in uniform. Right. And the best thing is when he says, like, well, maybe not. And then, you know, Bill and Wendy just, you could palpably tell they're like, what, what are you, what are you contributing? You know, right. like at first they're like, 
okay, rat, you know, why don't you keep quiet? <laughs> and then he actually makes a reasonable point, you know, not, not also couched in uh, philosophy, but, you know, Religion it makes a, reason, too, yeah, makes right. a reasonable point um, in his way. And they basically say, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> right. So Bill actually at that point just walks out. But Wendy stays in the meeting and Wendy acknowledges to Smith that he made a good point. You know, yeah, making uh, Holden look really bad. And then she walks out and then Holden is left sitting there alone with Smith who grabs his coat and leaves. And then Holden is sitting there like a dummy. And basically, you know, at this point, finally realizes that maybe he blew it. Right. If every single person disagrees with him and says he did a shitty job, maybe in fact he did a shitty job. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe should he be doing it? Should he be doing this? Like, is he interested? I'm not sure what he's thinking. He just seemed highly disinterested. Yeah. This episode. Um, and again, like you said, maybe he's dealing with the loss of Wendy. Maybe he's dealing with uh, his OCD. Maybe he's taking too much clonopin, you know, like he's yeah. zonked out. <laughs> or he's not taking enough and he's withdrawing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have two scenes left, uh, one of which is not that interesting, but one of which I think is really interesting. So first we see... I know uh, which one you think is more interesting. Of course. So first we see Bill and Nancy in church. <laughs> the lipstick lesbian scene. Where they're, uh, wait, wait, let's get, let's stick to church first. Uh, where Let's um, make it quick because the, the lipstick lesbian scene is way better. <laughs> where the local detective, uh, who we will refer to as shaky, uh, <laughs> basically can't answer like two questions and Bill has to jump in and basically save his ass in front of the entire church congregation. Um, and essentially answer questions in a way that calms people down. They are being unreasonable to an extent, but he, it, Bill is sort of like the authority figure that says, and he's like, listen, settle down. It's not a cult killing. You have to give it time. You know, you can't do that. But the, but the other detective is poorly written. Like this is supposed to be a professional, you know, policeman who's made detective right and and here he is like you know he's still like quaking in his shoes like it doesn't hold you know what i'm saying like this isn't like a raw recruit and they Maybe even make just, him look sweaty and his tie is untied like it's stupid i think he just got off a uh, parking ticket detail that's the problem at least that's yeah. what he's been doing but again <laughs> he's he's not a he's not a beat cop he's supposed to be a detective uh, i know I know they act, and plus, it's like in the suburbs of DC. It's like it really right. They they really treat him like like he's you know kind of a dummy. Yeah, and and Bill just you know Bill saves the day, but at the same time, he exerts all this dominance over him, and basically, sort of, if essentially telegraphs to the congregation, "Don't pay attention to this guy. Listen to me." Right. Outwardly, he says to you know he has my full confidence. Right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to school all of you, including Detective Spencer, about, uh, you know, what really should be said to a group of worried, you know, parishioners. I right. don't know. Um, and then, right, we cut to our <laughs> big finale. You know, it's interesting, like, like they're, when they show their private lives outside of uh, Quantico. Right. And again, like, again, for the third time this episode, I'm going to say this, like, like the loss of 
Debbie is really palpable. Like you need that. And Hannah Gross, if you're listening, you should have <laughs> been in this show. You heard it here first. Yeah. You probably heard it from your agent first, but you heard it here second. <laughs> so Wendy is uh, in, the, in her tub, right? Uh, smoking a cigarette or a joint, I can't tell. Uh, drinking a glass of wine. And uh, the voice, sorry, the, the audio track is The Pretender's Brass in Pocket, which is all about a woman who wants to be noticed. Um, and she goes to Holden's favorite dog bar to meet a particular individual. Right, the bartender. Right. But, you, you know, what's, what's really interesting about the bartender? Like something really struck me about the bartender. Can you read um, my mind? Can you get what I'm, can you see where I'm going or no? No, I don't know. Where are you going? She looks like, uh, she looks a little like Holden's like girlfriend. Well, not a little bit, but I guess my point is this woman is the mathematical inverse of her prior uh, girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that before. Right. She pours a shot. Yeah. She pours him a shot of whiskey instead of. Cognac. Right. But I mean, like, you know, we saw in the past, you know, in, in season one, she was with this like sort of snooty, hyper intellectual, you know, yeah. Like cold fish, you know, and, and right. this woman, Works she's, in a bar by the base. Yeah, and she's sort of sexy and sultry, and she sort of saunters around, and she's drinking booze, you know, like, and she's openly gay. Openly right? gay, and she knows how to talk to the, you know, the soldiers, uh, and like she, right? She's there's she's the opposite of uptight. Right, I think Lena. She's Olin downright played, cool. I think Lena Olin played her girlfriend in the first season. But, you know, like this woman is not just the opposite of Wendy's last girlfriend. This woman is also the opposite of Wendy. Yeah. Right. Like Wendy's kind of slumming it a little bit. Right. You know, she's the academic who's, who's who falls for the bar girl. I mean, maybe you got to see who knows. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is, like, you can see that the bar girl is kind of in the driver's seat. Like, she's way more comfortable in her skin uh, right. than Wendy is. And Wendy has to kind of, like, dance around the topic at hand. And then when she finally, you know, gets her point across, uh, you know, she essentially asks, is there a lesbian bar that we could go to? Right. right. She says, is there a place, dot, 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 for us? Right. The other woman says, are you looking for a tour guide or a date? Right. Uh, you know, Wendy, she finally blurts out a date and then she's crossed the line and then they share a drink. Right. And right. as the, by the way, right then the music says, I'm going to make you see like, finally, Wendy is seen, you know, for the first time in Quantico for who she really is. Yeah. It, yeah, that's so, so, right. The the bartender is really cool and very non closeted and not wearing a suit. She's still basically a lips lesbian, by the way, pretty much. Oh, I like her baseball shirt. Um, but you know, she's like a dressed down, hot casual uh, lipstick lesbian instead of the like suit wearing, corporate looking. You know, Wendy. Right. Well, she, you know, she works at a, you know, if not a dive bar, a rough bar. Right. 
Um, and she pours them. Uh, I hard to can't like tell what it is. Some, some, some kind sort of whiskey. Hard liquor. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, this, it's implied that this is the beginning of their relationship. Right. And it's also the opposite of Wendy's like Pinot Grigio or whatever the hell she's <laughs> right. always drinking. Yeah. Wendy's definitely having a better week than Holden. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, this is not a great episode. Like, I think there's a lot of missed opportunities here. Um, and they could have just, I don't know, like it felt long and slow. I hope they pick it up next time because uh, to this i really like the first two episodes i just this one was it meandered a bit and it, it it definitely took me out of the zone yeah i'm gonna watch um i'm gonna watch episode four probably tonight before i go to bed because i'm sort of curious where the storylines go but uh you know usually like these episodes go very quick for me and i feel like i blink and it's over like this one like eh, it was a bit of a slog but i maybe i don't know i mean maybe maybe they did it on purpose and there's a point to all of it but my suspicion is it was actually just a slog and not a great episode i mean they you know they can't all be great yeah uh, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But, you know, it is, let me just back up a little bit. It is a little bit odd that nobody at Quantico has figured out that Wendy's gay. I mean, these are supposed to be very insightful people. It's also like, whatever. It's it's not, it's 1982 as well. It's 79. But again, she's, right, but she's an unmarried woman of a certain age. Like, you'd think that they'd at least be a little suspicious like it would be interesting if they had a scene where you know holden and bill kind of like wondered a little bit like you know could you nah not you know what i'm saying like it'd be interesting if they had something like that but she's such an outsider that they probably don't even think about it much you know what i mean i just i think she's she's such an outsider in every way and she's very she's a little bit you know chilly and withdrawn right in Mm -hmm. general well, it'd be interesting if Agent Smith that. noticed and put it together. Well, it'd be really interesting if she sees Agent Smith at the gay bar. <laughs> That's your best line of the show. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah, we should wrap con- there. He's taking confessions. If you know <laughs> you what should I mean. stop talking because you're never going to say anything better than that line this whole episode. Uh, all right, <laughs> all right. So See up you. next, season two episode uh four was this the worst episode ever (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know about that that that's fighting words but it certainly wasn't in the wasn't in our top five shall we say all right all right we'll see you guys uh, next time thanks